it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 122. Tonight, we're going to do part two of analyzing the growth of a stock. And one of the things that's going to be a theme tonight is appearances can be deceiving. Not all growth is equal. So you never know what you're going to get until you get into it. So like Forrest Gump used to say, life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. So tonight, uh, I think you know what you're going to get, but Andrew and I are going to talk a little bit. So Andrew, why don't you uh, go ahead and start us off and then we'll chat a little bit. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I'm excited to hear about the example that we talked about off air. I think that kind of ties it in nicely. And it's, you know, we've been talking about growth and obviously... You know, if you haven't listened to the last episode, I would recommend doing that. But uh, bottom line, you know, a business grows, a stock goes higher in the stock market because it's able to grow earnings and profits over time. And so, as an investor, there's so many different ways. And um, like a box of chocolates, I guess uh, there's different flavors of ways that you can try to evaluate a stock's growth. And what's frustrating is there's never 
one perfect way. You know, one if you have some indicator that you found this year that's worked to help you pick stocks that grew, uh, maybe that that indicator doesn't work next year. But you know, if if we zoom out and not necessarily try to look for a magic bullet, but maybe try to look for general trends, and maybe if we just have a bigger understanding of what some of that accounting jargon means, what are some of the causes and effects of growth and and some of these metrics. So if we understand those kind of big picture elements, then as we're digging into the stocks that we look at, um, we get more understanding and it's not just random. We understand uh, situations where maybe like you were saying in the intro, growth was kind of deceiving. Um, or when actually a company's track record is showing that, it, that it's not only growing, but it looks like maybe a sustainable growth. It looks like growth that has come from a strong business model, a strong core business, and not anything else with the numbers. So I think you mentioned a bank you have been looking at and from some of the numbers you started throwing to me, uh, it, it made me think of some of the other parts of growth that we didn't cover in the last episode. So I would love to hear what you um, have been looking at lately. So yeah, uh, Andrew and I, uh, after last uh, recording, we had talked a little bit about some other possible aspects of growth and maybe exploring a little bit some other things that we could think about. So uh, as I've been doing more and more writing about uh, actual companies uh, for Seeking Alpha recently, I've been noticing a trend when I've been looking at these companies. And I kind of mentioned this to Andrew, and he and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit about this. So uh, there's a bank that I've been looking at uh, that I was going to write some more about as I've been kind of analyzing it because I was interested in investing in it. And I noticed that their earnings per share has shot up quite a bit, almost doubled actually in the last four years. But the thing that I noticed that was interesting was the revenue had had not gone up correspondingly. So that led me to go, well, why is that? So then I noticed on their income statement that their shares had uh, gone down. So they've been doing a lot of buybacks on their shares probably modestly aggressively, but enough that it's affected their earnings. So their, their net income has, has gone up, which is good as you know, their uh, revenue has gone up. So all those things correspond. But when you look at the percentage of the earnings growth versus the growth of the revenue and the growth of the, the net earnings, it was not all the same. And so that led me to start looking at other things in their financials to kind of help explain this to me a little bit. And I just felt like it was deceiving is not the right word for it, but it was maybe illusionary or it wasn't as great as I thought it was. When you just looked at the earnings per share, if you go on a website, you see that, Hey, this bank's earnings are, you know, jumping up, you know, almost double in the last four years, you go, wow, that's amazing. This company is growing like crazy. But then when you really start to dig into the numbers, it's not quite as amazing as it really looks like. And is it 
dishonest? I don't think it's dishonest because it's, you know, they're doing legitimately, they're buying back shares, which a lot of companies are doing as a way of reinvesting into the company instead of just sitting on the cash or, you know, buying, you know, foolish things they are investing back in our company, which is, you know, great. We've talked about that before. Uh, we had an episode that we talked about Meb Faber's book, uh, Shareholder Yield. And this is a big part of what he was talking about in that book was the share buybacks. And so that's all great and fine and dandy. But I think the thing that I wanted to illustrate with this was when you're thinking about growth, you have to try to look at it from a lot of different angles to make sure that what you really are seeing is what you really are seeing. And if you just look at one metric, just earnings per share, and you see that, you know, it's gone, you know, 10 X in the last three or four years, and that's all you base your investment on, you could really burn yourself pretty badly. And another aspect of this that we were talking about that is moderately concerning is their debt has gone up. It's almost doubled in the last four years. And the short-term debt as well as the long-term debt has all doubled in the last four years. Now, their shareholder equity has been pretty flat, actually, over the last four years. So it it leads you to think, well, why are these things? So as you start looking at how all this interconnects, and we've talked about this in the past, when you look at one aspect of the financials, they all kind of feed into each other. And this is why trying to look at these things will help you paint a better picture of why different things happen and how this affects this and going back and forth. And when you're just talking about growth, a lot of times the analysts will base all of their predictions based on the earnings per share. And and Wall Street loves to talk about earnings per share, earnings per share, earnings per share, earnings per share. And that's one of the, you know, the big metrics out there. And that's one of the big terms that's bandied about on Wall Street. And that's what the a majority of the focus is on is that, you know, that you got to have that earnings per share. And as a tangent, uh, General Electric, and one of the huge things that really burned them over the last few years was uh, the previous CEO's obsession with always being better than the quarter before, even if it was only a penny, you know, and he manipulated things on their financials to have the company growing every single year. And it was fake. And I'm not saying that this bank I'm looking at is fake. It's not. But those are just things that you have to be aware of and, and kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're thinking about growth. And we all want to see growth. We all want to see all these numbers going up and everything going you know, to the right and up. But you always have to look at what you're looking at and try to balance it out with what you're seeing because you want to make sure that you you aren't getting into a growth trap they aren't it's not what it really seems to be and in the case of the bank that that I'm talking about one of the things that is going on in the background it's it, you know I'm looking at the annual numbers so I'm looking at 2018 versus 2000 through 2015 so I'm not looking at the last 12 months I'm not looking at you know what it did last quarter I'm just going on the annual numbers because I feel like those are they're audited, number one. And number two, it's just an easier way of comparing apples to apples for me personally. And one of the things that I know that's happened this year is this bank has purchased another bank. And it's going to be interesting to see on the next 
financial report that comes out sometime in February of next year, what, how that's affecting the bank and what's, what's going on. Is it, you know, is there going to be huge goodwill in there or are they paying cash for this? Are they using shares to buy this? I'm not exactly sure how all that's going to go down yet because I haven't investigated that part of it, but I know that's going to have a bearing on this and it could have a bearing on their earnings as well. Uh, and so these are all things that you just have to kind of keep in mind. And I, I'd be kind of curious to hear what Andrew has to say about my, all my comments now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something you have to be very cognizant of. And like you said, earnings per share is such a huge focus, whether it's how did they do last quarter with earnings per share, or it's, you know, what's the guidance for this upcoming quarter? How, you know, what's the range that we see earnings per share coming in compared from this year to last year? And if the next three months look like it's, you know, not as it doesn't have that growth that analysts want to see, um, you could see a sell off quite quickly in, in the stock in, in a matter of minutes sometimes. So the EPS thing is definitely a big factor when it comes to pricing. Um, the more and more you get into the daily craziness and fluctuations of the stock market, um, the more that becomes very, very, very evident. But over the long term, you know, when you want to think of is this business going to be around in 10 years? Um, are they going to sustain a good size and continue to grow profits and, you know, grow kind of in a reliable way, I guess? Um, then I think that's where a lot of other metrics can come in and, and either support that or, or not. So I think the fact that you brought up that there's a merger coming up, it reminds me of a stock I bought recently. Don't want to say recently, but it was maybe two years ago-ish. And it's another one of those where I was like, I wish I didn't buy it. But CVS, I bought them uh, knowing that they were also going to go through a merger. Um, But... I guess looking back, I, I maybe should have waited until after the merger to really see how the balance sheet and income statements were affected by it. And because sure enough, you know, kind of to the theme of this episode, uh, this idea that the growth wasn't like the growth, like the growth that was shown on the financials was maybe not reflective of real true business growth. So. I really have to like rein myself back and, and not get too far into the accounting jargon. But basically, when the an acquisition or a merger happens, then that can be a quick way to boost. You know, we we talk about how you can kind of boost earnings per share through buybacks. You can also boost shareholders' equity and book value per share. Remember, book value is the same as shareholders' equity. That can also be boosted through acquisitions, and so in the same way that you'll see some companies kind of take it too far and maybe um, do share buyback so aggressively um, to the, to the effect that they're burning, you know, basically putting shareholder capital on fire. Uh, You can see that also with companies who do heavy acquisitions and because of the way that those are banked into the balance sheet, um, 
the assets will also go higher even if they overpaid for acquisition. I hope that makes sense if you're not familiar with mergers and acquisitions. Um, But basically, it's like uh, if a company borrows a bunch of money and let's say they bought this printer company, the printer company is really only worth a billion dollars, but they paid $3 billion for it, right? Well, in the real world, if I paid $3 billion for something, then um, that's $3 billion out of my pocket, right? So I'm $3 billion poorer um, and only a billion dollars richer by buying this printer company. Uh, With the way the balance sheets work and the accounting, um, if a company pays $3 billion for a $1 billion company, they still get $3 billion in assets on their balance sheet. So if you remember some of my lamentations, if that's the right word, um, when I was licking my wounds from that Noel Brands purchase I made and the goodwill impairment that happened afterwards, that's an example of where an acquisition that was overpaid for um, makes growth look good in the short term, but over the long term, it was not reflective of true growth. And so it kind of took a hit to the financials later on. And, and that's that's one of the downsides with um, some of the accounting that goes on with mergers and acquisitions. Um, and I think it just represents another reason that when you are evaluating growth, it's not it's so, so, so important to not just rely on one metric. And so that's why I think becoming a value investor unintentionally can help you evaluate growth. Because if you can understand that there are several metrics intertwined and working together to, to paint the picture of, of a company's story. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. 
Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Then you can understand that maybe in one example, uh, growth is not as it really appears. It's, it's embellished in this case. And maybe in another example because you have the experience and kind of the context to know when that has been the case. Now you can kind of look at a company and say, well, you know, from a share shares, outstanding perspective, a share buybacks perspective, it doesn't look like they're wasting money. Maybe from a reinvesting in the business kind of Warren Buffett owners earnings CapEx perspective, it looks like they're being efficient with that money. It looks like uh, from a balance sheet perspective, from a mergers and acquisitions perspective, they're being efficient with that money. And well, look at that. Earnings are also growing and earnings per share is growing. All the metrics are growing. And so you can feel that much more confident about the history of a stock when you kind of understand some of these deeper intricacies. And if it's something that you're diving into for the very first time, I would... uh, Caution not either A, being too overwhelmed or B, being too gung-ho about any one metric that makes a company look good. And I think that's where with growth, it's it's so challenging because there's ways, kind of like a GE, uh, if a management is really you know trying to max out their stock options every quarter and really trying to um, you know, put put the RPMs at eight thousand for sixty sixty minutes in an hour. Well, somehow it's gonna show up in the accounting eventually. Uh, whereas you know, if you kind of think of it logically and you think that, you know, from what I've noticed, for the most part, things in the world kind of tend to take time when it when it's time to grow. Trees take a long time to grow, right? Um, businesses generally take a longer time to grow. Microsoft didn't become, or Apple, or Amazon, or uh, you know any of these huge, huge companies that span the world. They did not become those type of businesses overnight. Yes, they had periods of uh, very large extensions of growth, but it's still, in certain cases, it was you know started in a, in a garage or um, started from some innovation on a technology and over time it was able to build and build and build on itself. And that's just, you know, growth takes time and that's true with businesses and that's going to be true for sustainable investments as well. So if you're going to look for the type of stocks that are going to give you the types of things that we like to talk about, what we like to look for dividend compounding and, and dividend growth uh, long-term 
performance and share price appreciation, those things take time. And so for those things to naturally happen, you want to see all parts of the business growing and not just one or two. So maybe understand that uh, you're not just going to focus on earnings per share or earnings. And I think that's something that uh, when I first started out, I didn't really comprehend the significance of that. Um, And I think luckily for most companies, you really generally won't run into that. Um, But there's always the chance that you do. So now, uh, for as an example, I recently looked at my portfolio, looked at the stocks on my watch list and kind of tried to um, reevaluate the growth picture on some of these, do some comparisons and um, get a, get get like a, a grounding on, on what kind of decisions was I going to make moving forward and how was I going to kind of evaluate how the business is done. Try to separate that from what's gone on in the stock market with with the stocks, how they've gone up and down, and really just try to look at the financial statements and, and how if the business truly has grown or not. And so I noticed um, that it's helpful to look at either earnings per share and book value per share or net earnings and book value or shareholders equity. And if something weird was happening with the shares then I would tend to just look at the net earnings. Um, and if if uh, earnings per share, like back to your example, Dave, with the bank, if earnings per share growth was higher than net earnings, then I want to understand why. And if it's because of buybacks, that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing, depending on at what price, you know, if the stock was expensive when the company did a buyback, then they're basically not being efficient. They're, they're uh, overspending to buy back these shares. Um, so that's something like kind of to further dig into. But from a general sense, if those two numbers are different, I'm going to find out why. And either I wasn't going to count the earnings per share growth because I was like, well, you know what? Like uh, what they're doing with the shares outstanding is kind of making these calculations wonky. And so I'm going to instead focus on the complete net earnings or you know it looks like they've done buybacks but it's been like a steady kind of consistent thing and uh, other parts of the business look stable so i'm okay with using those numbers when i'm thinking about the company's growth so those are that was a thought process i had recently um, that i don't think we talked about much uh, when it came to thinking about growth and some of the things that can manipulate some of the numbers that investors generally look at when they're thinking about growth. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, that, that's all great stuff. And I, I really like how you were kind of talking about comparing uh, book value to earnings per share and, and kind of how they're kind of intertwined. And I, I think one thing that I, I think that I would like to stress when you're thinking about growth and, and trying to analyze companies and trying to determine whether this is something that you want to put your hard-earned money into is all part of creating your own kind of checklist of having things that you're going to look at 
for every company so that you have as good as you can an idea of what you think is going on with a company. And obviously earnings per share is one going to be one of them. Revenue is going to be one of them. Net earnings is going to be one of them. You know, shareholder equity, book value, all those things that we have talked about and are talking about are all things that are kind of intertwined that you should try to look at for every single company and not just taking on face value that the earnings per share is a standalone great thing to use to evaluate each and every company Uh, because Business is cyclical and things that go up will go down and vice versa. Things that are going down will go back up. And depending on where you are in the life cycle of that particular company, where you are in the life cycle of that particular industry, uh, what's going on with the economy, either with nationally here in the United States or even outside of the United States, if things are going very poorly overseas and that particular company that you're looking to invest in does, you know, half or more of their business overseas, well, obviously that's going to affect them. So all those things are kind of intertwined. And when you're looking at growth and trying to analyze it, you obviously, you want to look at a longer time period. Andrew's talked about that before, and I fully agree with that. You know, looking at one or two years is just not enough. You got to look at 10 years at least to just give you an idea of what this company has, has done, what it's gone through and trying to, trying to incorporate some of these growth metrics and ideas into when things weren't going great, when we weren't in a bull market, when the economy wasn't expanding, when things were kind of eh or even bad. Uh, all those things will give you a really good idea of the management of the company and what they're doing and how good they've been in all different, different kinds of circumstances. You know, it's, it's easy to look at things when everything is going great and everything's rosy and stock markets going up and up and up and up. Well, then obviously, you know, all these things are going to be going great at what's that Warren Buffett phrase. You, you never know who's. You, you, oh, what is it about the tide never, going out? You never know yeah. who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's uh, when you're thinking about earnings and you're thinking about all these things. That's why it's so important to, you know, try to go a little bit deeper and looking at how things are intertwined and what is really going on with the company. You know, when you see that the earnings are doubled, but the revenue hasn't gone up that much, the net earnings haven't gone up that much, then it's coming from somewhere and the share buybacks are great. But like Andrew mentioned, you know, are the share buybacks, buybacks, sorry, are those the best use of the capital right now? And I'm not obviously making assumptions or statements that I know more than a CEO of a company does because I don't because I'm not him or her. But if the company is really expensive, is buying back your shares is your best option? Would there, would there be other options? Would there be opposite, you know, opportunities to, you know, acquire a company that could help you grow or, you know, give you other avenues of revenue for that particular company or giving us back dividends. You know, there's, there's just, there, there are different ways than just doing share buybacks to do share buybacks. And again, this is all part of the process of, of learning about a company and learning how to buy the company and what's going on with the company. And growth is obviously something you want to see. You never want to see a company going down. You know, if the revenues are going down, but the, 
uh, you know, year after year after year, but the earning the earnings are going up. Well, to me, that's a red flag because they're obviously buying back shares. But if the company is not doing their job and growing sales and growing their earnings, then it's illusionary. It's not it's not sustainable because eventually at some point you're going to run out of shares to buy back. And then what are you going to do? You know, because, and those are all things that you have to take into consideration when you're looking at investing in a company, because we all work hard for our money and you don't want to just throw it away because you saw something shiny and you fell in love with the company because of that shiny thing. But when you really start to dig into it, it's not as shiny as you originally thought it was because we've all had that happen to us. I know I've certainly had it happen to me. GameStop was a perfect example. It was, it was shiny. I thought it was good. It was not good. So, you know, you just, you live and learn, but I think that's one of the things I wanted to kind of touch on today with the growth aspect of it is, is making sure that you have a checklist and you have these ideas and understand maybe not fully, you don't have to understand it completely, but at least have an idea of where to look and what to look for and to help protect yourself when you're looking at all this stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned a checklist and so assume I'm somebody who's, you know, th- this stuff sounds interesting, um, uh, but I'm a little bit lost. I don't know where to start. Um, so for you to speak to somebody who's maybe in that camp, who understands that I probably should learn to, to either make a checklist for myself, you know, or uh, learn more about some of the terms, I guess, that you and I were talking about today. Uh, where, where, would, where would you point people and you know i don't think uh giving either you or or me even myself like if i were to say hey this is exactly how you need the exact metrics to uh evaluate a company's growth i don't think i don't think it's as easy of a calculation as like a evaluation might be per se uh so how would you kind of how how would you teach somebody the fish? Like what, what direction would you point them in if they're looking to maybe take that next step and learn more about growth and, and making a, a checklist for growth and all those sorts of things? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think, I guess uh, the first couple things that kind of popped to mind would be to start to look at an income statement and try to figure out how you would read through that and the easiest way to think of an income statement for example is it's in essence a checking account for the bank for the company so for the bank i'm talking about it's their checking account if you will it's not literally but it's in essence it is because they're bringing in money which is our paycheck and then they have to pay a whole bunch of stuff out expenses whether it's you know employees it's buildings it's you know paper, whatever it may be, you know, buying stuff, uh, all that stuff comes out of the checking account. And then the money they have left over is their earnings. Uh, and so when you're looking at evaluating growth of a company, obviously you want to look at the quote unquote bottom line, which is the earnings. And that's the money that they have left over. Uh, that's what they've earned. And then the first, then you'd also want to look at the top line, which is the revenue is so you want to see those numbers going up. In addition to that, you want to start to understand a little bit of 
how some of those things are going up. So you see that the revenue is increasing. You see that the net earnings or the money that the company has made is growing. And you see the earnings per share is growing. And then maybe kind of just really quickly looking at maybe the growth of year over year of those particular three items you can go to quickfs.net and you can see on that particular website, it'll show you year over year. So you can kind of get an idea of how much it's grown and kind of maybe just do a real quick comparison of, you know, the earnings and the net earnings and the revenue have both grown by three and a half percent over the last five years, but the earnings per share has grown nine and a half percent. Well, okay. That's, that's not correlated. So what's causing that? And I guess when you're thinking about checklists, for me, I'm thinking about questions that ask me to ask myself that are going to lead me to another question. So for example, I just asked the question of why are the earnings per share growing faster than the revenue or the net earnings? Because those are the, the income and what the money I have left over that doesn't correlate. You would think that they would logically they'd have to correlate. So why is that? So then that's the question I would ask myself. And that would be what I put on a checklist is why are the earnings per share growing faster than the revenue or the income or the net earnings, excuse me. And then that leads me to go investigate further. And just looking at the income statement, you can see that the share buybacks or the shares that they have left over at the end of the year is less than the year before and the year before and the year before because they're buying more shares back of their company. And that would, in theory, tell you that, okay, that's why the earnings per share has gone up because they've been more aggressive buying back more shares. So those are just three fairly simple, easy quote unquote questions that you could put on your checklist right there that are fairly easy to understand, don't involve a lot of higher math, and are just things that you can look for fairly easily, either in the financial statements via the 10K or even going on a website like Seeking Alpha. You can find all that information just by searching for this, you know, a particular company and seeing all their financials right there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to me, that's those are some things that are easy and would be good beginner places to start. And then you can kind of branch off from there. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Thanks for providing that. I think that's like the perfect amount to chew and a good kind of launching point. And, you know, it's one of those things that you just continue to immerse yourself in and you're not going to, you know, who, who's able to memorize a textbook completely overnight. You're not, you know, there's no. a reason why people take weeks and weeks and weeks to, to learn something and that, you know, when it comes to evaluating growth or looking at stocks, it's the same way. And I think that's a great actionable piece for, for the listeners to take. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And I guess to kind of tag off of that real quick, uh, if you go to guru, focus, guru and type in a ticker or a company to look up, one of the cool things that I, I like about this site that's helped me learn stuff is that when you're looking at the 30-year the financials that they offer, you have the ability to to click on every single line item and they will break down how they achieve, they come to the particular number. So when you're looking at, you know, revenue of a company, if you click on that line item, it'll take you to a separate page that will 
show you where the revenue numbers come from, whether it's the tw- trailing 12 months, whether it's the quarterly, whether it's the annual. So they'll show you where that number comes from, but they'll also give you a definition of what that term actually means. And so it can help you start to learn as you're taking you know, bite-sized pieces of this, it'll help you start to learn what these what this terminology means. And like Andrew said, you're not going to learn all this overnight and it's impossible to, and you shouldn't expect yourself to, but as you start to broaden your horizons and learn this language and build on that language, you'll learn more and more and it'll start to make more and more sense to you. But I think just starting with the simple things that I talked about with the, the income statement will help you tremendously in discovering what's really going on with a, a growth of a company. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on growth for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and you found a thing or two that can help you with your investing and your journey to learn more about this great opportunity. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and have a great week. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.